Well, hello, friends, and welcome to episode 133 of the Burden of Command podcast. I'm your host, Earl Breon. Today's guest is Patrick Burke, and he comes to us from our good friends over at C.S. Lewis Publicist and Company. Patrick is the managing partner at Burke and Schindler PLL and Concentric Wealth Management. He is passionate about helping entrepreneurs start, grow, manage, and build valuable businesses, and he has advised more than 200 successful startups. He is also an expert across multiple disciplines, including mergers and acquisitions, business financing, and deal structuring. He serves on the board of directors for SMS Holdings in Nashville and UASI in Cincinnati, and maintains Series 7 and Series 66 securities license. He's also the author of the new book, The 10 Biggest Business Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. And that's what we're going to talk about a lot during this discussion are those 10 business mistakes and how to avoid them. And as you can see, Patrick comes to this from, uh, you know, the the money standpoint of it, but he's got a lot of great insight uh, into startups, into what it takes to be a successful entrepreneur. Uh, so this was a really good conversation. Uh, it's going to be valuable for anybody who's looking to either get into the startup or has a startup. And uh, the advice he shares here will just be extremely valuable to you all. So with that, I'm going to shut up, get out of the way, let the stinger play, and let you get into this outstanding interview with Patrick Burke. Pat, thanks for joining us. I'm happy to be here. Thank you, Earl. Oh, I'm I'm delighted to have you. Thank you for being a guest and uh, being willing to have the conversation we're about to have because I think it's a very valuable discussion we're going to have here because, you know, especially as we're seeing coming out of this pandemic, uh, people are choosing more and more to not go back to the daily grind and start their own businesses. So uh, I think these the, the 10 biggest business mistakes are are something that's really important to get out right now. So again, thank you for being here then. Yeah, I I think it is timely, and I'm, I'm hoping that uh, people read it and realize I'm not just kidding around. I've made uh, eight of these ten myself, so I can uh, I can tell you while they're not necessarily deadly, they are costly. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, before we dive into these mistakes, uh, I want to start you off where I start everybody. When you hear the phrase "burden of command," what does that mean to you? Well, I've been thinking about this quite a bit. I mean, and this is—I uh, was a very poor employee, and uh, actually, before I—I I was working uh, for a, a CPA firm, a local CPA firm, and I'm both a lawyer and a CPA, and I—I I had uh, decided that I didn't want to work at this firm anymore, and I, I thought I wanted to go in and work at a law firm, and my brother was a managing partner at a large law firm, and I said, I'll, let me buy you lunch, I want to talk to you about this, and, and I got about two sentences into it, and he said, I want to tell you something, Pat, I, you know, I'm, I'm your older brother, um, I sort of stand in the, the place of, of our dad, because my dad, our dad had died when I was 14 years old, and and my brother was 13 years older than me, so he sort of stood in loco parentis, if you will. And he said, uh, you're a shoddy employee. Actually, that's not the word he used, but he meant that. <laughs> it was a little more colorful. And he said, you're much better off on your own. So uh, whether I liked it or not, I kind of had to be a leader because I wasn't a very good follower. Um, but it's, you know, of course, that was my choice. But I do think that there's, you know, what I would say, you know, sort of earmarks of good of good leaders, and I think that uh, you know, in the business world, you know, I think one of the there's several tenets that I think are make up a good leader. You know, um, you know, first off, you know, you're you have to treat your employees like real people and get to get to know and understand them, and understand you know their why, and uh, you know, of course, as the as the uh, owner of the company, you know, you're the last to get paid. You know, nobody else. Uh, signed on to take entrepreneurial risk, so that's that's a critical piece of it. I also think it's helpful to have a particularly highly polished crystal ball. People are depending upon you to take your company, you know, beyond just where it is today and where it needs to tomorrow, because they want to have opportunities to grow and be part of an organization that 
that thrives not only today but tomorrow and gives them an opportunity to have a career. I also think it helps to have be of good cheer, you know, have good humor. Things are going to happen. And, you know, if you take everything personally and if you get upset about small things, I think it makes for a very difficult work environment. I think we probably all worked for people like that. Uh, and it's no fun. There's no reason why business, you know, should be, uh, it, it's not, uh, uh, it's, it's, for most of us, if you're not in the medical field, it's not life or death. You just want to you know, get through the day, do your best, the best possible job for yourself and your customers and move forward. I, I think also that best leaders have significant grace under pressure. And, you know, similar to my last comment, you just, you know, they, uh, they seem to do better the tougher things get. And it's always interesting to me when an employee sort of makes their first mistake in an accounting firm. So a lot of times those mistakes cost client money and you have to, you know, own up to what you've done wrong and, and move forward. And they're great learning experiences in, in, in my estimation. Um, also, I think that that uh, business, being a business leader, you have to understand, I think you have to have a bias towards action. I think that, you know, back to my earlier comment about, about a pretty clear crystal ball, you got to get, you got to be able to move forward and not be um, uh, caught in the ready aim, 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 and you can't fire. And of course, a lot of that's uh, associated with being good at assessing risk. And I don't want to say that um, entrepreneurs necessarily eat risk for breakfast, but uh, they usually don't have it still on their menu by lunch. You know, they understand how to deal with with risk, uh, assess risk, and move forward. I'm not saying that the answer is always to move forward. Um, well, I guess you move forward. Sometimes you move forward by not doing it. In general, it's been my experience with entrepreneurs that you have to be sort of dial them back a bit, uh, which is not always easy. And they don't always listen to me, but you know, at least you need to be on record as having said that. So I hope that was a good response. Uh, th that was an absolutely great response there. And, and I loved all the, the, the way you broke all that down. And, and uh, you know, as you were talking about those last couple of pieces there, you know, it kind of reminded me, you know, my listeners know I like to inject history whenever I possibly can, but it, it kind of reminded me of the uh, kind of the dichotomy between uh, General McClellan and, and General Grant. Um, you know, for those who aren't aware uh, General McClellan was kind of in charge of the Union uh, forces uh, around the Potomac before uh, Grant took over. And the main reason was is because he was kind of doing what Pat was just talking about here. He was prepare, prepare, march, march, drill, drill. I think the famous quote from uh, Abraham Lincoln was, uh, General McClellan's assembled the finest army America's ever seen. Do you think he'd mind if I borrowed them for a little while? <laughs> you know, and it was the thing he would never do anything with him. And so when Grant comes along, he looks like a genius because he put all of McClellan's preparation into action. And I think that's kind of what you were getting at there with those last couple of pieces, right? Yeah, well, that, it's interesting. I, I often talk to entrepreneurs about their business, and it's there's clearly most of them operate at the CEO level, and they're very they're not very good at uh, you know. I always think of entrepreneurs having two lenses. They have a they have a uh, uh, you know a wide angle lens that looks for opportunities and threats, and then they then they go down to a microscopic lens to deal with one or the other. Then they go back out to the to the ultra wide angle lens, and the area in between is sort of the area for middle management. And that's most entrepreneurs are not good middle managers. Don't hire middle managers, and they and I, maybe that's McClellan. He was a good teacher, but he wasn't necessarily a great executor. So most I'd say most entrepreneurs fall into the grant category for sure. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Well, and I like that. So uh, let's go ahead and dive into to the 10 biggest uh, business mistakes and how to avoid them. Because, uh, you know, you'll touch on that a little bit here in mistake one, but it's buy or start the wrong business. So so talk about that a little bit. Why is that a uh, that, that seems like one that would be fairly easy to avoid. But why isn't it? Well, I, I think it's it's a uh, standard case of people really don't examine their conscience very well. You know, they, they hear about an opportunity and they think, oh, that sounds good. Um, you know, I think um, I that, that person has done very well with his 
with his um, engineering company or with a particular product, and I think I can do that. And then they, um, and, I, and, I, uh, and they, or they think they're smarter than the average bear. So um, I had a couple of partners a few years back, and uh, actually I had a, a client who was a, had to rent to own business, so they would rent TVs and furniture and and uh, appliances, and they had a few stores in and around Cincinnati. And they were looking for an investor, and I decided that I, I put a, together a, a couple of people, and we decided that we were going to invest in it, but we thought we had a better idea. We thought that we had a local uh, apartment owner that owned uh, several hundred apartment units in the city, and we thought, well, maybe we can sell directly through the apartment managers. We could rent to new tenants and to existing tenants because we knew it was that group of people that that uh, apartment dwellers and people that you know weren't in places over long periods of time were, were the customers of the rent-to-own store so we thought we you know even though we had no experience <laughs> except they were a, a client for a couple of years we jumped into that and we were just absolutely dead wrong the uh, if an apartment manager could also run a rent-to-own store then he wouldn't be an apartment manager so we had absolutely zero rent thrill. And uh, so I, I look at a situation where I I had ne- I added no value to that. So although Renttown can be a very good, good business, and we have a client now that's got 25 stores, does very, very, very well, I didn't know enough about it. And I think just because something's a good business doesn't mean you're going to be good at it. So I always say, you know, I look as, at business as a three-legged stool. You know, there's sales. There's production and there's administration, and most entrepreneurs are successful when they're very good at sales and/or production. If you're only good at administration, you know <laughs> that's not really. Then you're better off buying a franchise, and I'm, there's nothing wrong with a franchise. But they, you know, and a, if you take on um, a franchise, you pick a Wendy's for example. You know, they've got their recipes, they've got their logos, they've got their designs. And you know, they're constantly bringing out new products. So they've created the sustainable advantage, right? You don't have to do that. And with most businesses, the reason somebody can't create or execute a sustainable advantage is because it was a business they shouldn't have been in to begin with. Back to my rent-to-own story, if you will. So you know, even if you're not the best sales guy or the best production guy, if you're second best at that and you've got good people ahead of you, that works too. But I just think too many people do not examine their conscience, care, conscience carefully enough to figure out what it is that they do well that they can actually add value to a business. Co- very common problem. Oh, yeah. No, I love that. And I, and I love these, uh, you know, later in that chapter, you asked these, uh, these 10 threshold questions. And, and I like these 10 questions, but there's one in here that, that sticks out particularly uh, very prominent to me. And that is, can you lead people? And I think that's a very critical question for folks in business to to ask and answer because, I mean, especially if you have a decent amount of success, you're going to have to lead people at some point in time. So that's a pretty critical skill, right? It, it certainly is. And, and really, it, it's it's probably one that, it's, that is most um, prevalent in in all, all successful entrepreneurs. And, you know, where I find entrepreneurs sort of hit their own uh, peak uh, or maybe glass ceiling, if you will, is, you know, most businesses, as they say, you know, their personality cults up to the point of maybe 20 people or so. And then the 21st person doesn't know the founder as well as top 20 did. So they're then sort of relying on relying on corporate culture and process and metrics. And a lot of times the business owner was, it was such a personality cult. He had people, you know, um, or she had people dancing to his tune or her tune, and they he didn't really have the processes in place. Um, so they, while they were good leaders, they really weren't very good managers. And I think that's, you have to sort of, you, you got to draw the line there. And quite honestly, what I find is a lot of entrepreneurs, while they're natural leaders, you really, they really need to hire managers or at least early on, if they can't do that, they have to be have to force themselves into that middle management role, uh, and it's really kind of goes against their grain. 
Yeah, no, I mean, that's really good advice. I, I, I really appreciate that because, you know, it's true. I've seen too many folks who, you know, just because they have the great idea or, or whatever, they, they feel like they have to be the person. And, and sometimes it's a good idea to, to know what your weaknesses are and, and hire those people to fill in those gaps, right? Oh, it is. I mean, famous book, The E-Myth, and, you know, just because you're good at making pies doesn't mean you're going to be good at running a company that sells pies. It's just, in fact, it's it's probably not that they're mutually exclusive, but, you know, it's why, you know, frankly, we talk about it later in the book, is most businesses really don't get beyond the lifestyle type business and don't really become growth businesses. And it's honestly, it's not generally partly because of lack of capital and making taking too much money out of the business. But oftentimes it's it's more about the owner's inability to see where their weaknesses are and to, to find the right person or persons to fill in those gaps to make sure that the that all the trains run on time. And that it's it's a shame, but it's 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 uh, interesting in that it's usually at the point where the business begins to top out that I have the business come in and business owner will come in and I call this one chair in my office, the Bob chair It's the burnout business owner. And they'll come in and say, Pat, you just got to help me sell this. And I just, I can't take it anymore. And almost always the, the, the conversation from there goes to what's driving them to, to this decision. And it's because they're doing a bunch of things that they don't add any value to. And, you know, they're processing payroll or they're, taking over the human resource function or they're interfacing with um, with their lawyer and they don't really care for that or they really don't they're spending too much time on the accounting aspect of it and that's not something they had any value to so it's and I say well, you know who would buy this business you know you're really are you some sort of sadist you're going to sell a business when it's when it's you know it's limping along you know this is no time to sell you just can't you know paint the door and cut the grass and expect to get you know, top prices, buyers are smart and they want a business that's thriving and they want some business that has good management and leadership. So that's, it's very tough to get past that, that, uh, to move into growth business from, from strictly, you know, a lifestyle business, which is more or less, Hey, I've got a good paying job here, but you know, will this thing, uh, uh, does it have any sustainability beyond me? I'm not really worried about that. You know, that's the sort of typical, uh, mantra of the of the uh, of a business owner of that ilk, and not that it should be. It really doesn't take that much more, you know, to be a growth business, except you know, be a little more uh, process oriented, maybe leave a little more capital in, and, and hire a few people that see things differently than you and aren't afraid to create processes that you know that are unfortunately mostly trapped inside the the entrepreneur's head. Mm. Oh, I like that. And, and I definitely want to unpack that lifestyle mistake too, uh, here a little bit more. But if you had one piece of advice for somebody to avoid mistake one, like how, how would you guide somebody towards being able to sit there and really answer that question? Is this a good or bad business? And, you know, I ask that, you know, knowing that, uh, the, the world we live in right now, you know, you've got, a lot of different marketing schemes out there. There's a lot of different products. You can buy this and become a sales rep for that company. And everybody's promising riches, uh, get quick, get rich quick. And Oh, by the way, we've got all these influencers out there who, you know, are making a business out of, uh, influencing people. Um, everybody sees these folks with these kind of like get rich quick kind of schemes. And they want to break off a piece of that Kit Kat bar, so to speak. <laughs> How can you, what is the one question or, or tip that they should be asking or tip do you have so they can say, hey, yeah, no, this is the wrong business for me? Well, I, I'll, you know, find something you already know something about. You know the market. You know you know who the consumer is. You might have contacts in that market already. You know, you might understand something about the distribution channel. You might even understand about how to source something, how to make something, you know, but anything, anything that puts you a little bit ahead of the next guy is is really the place you want to be. If everything you're starting everything from scratch, it's very difficult, right? You know, you don't understand the market, you don't understand the product, you don't understand who the customers are. It's 
it's not impossible, but in general, I mean, a lot of times, I mean, if it's a if it's a young person with a startup, it's usually their idea and they're executing their idea. You know, you've got the middle-aged person who may have have had a, you know, a, a hankering their whole business to career to start a business, and that's fine. I mean, you, you don't in that situation, you probably you may have a, a kid or two in college, and you you can't really afford to make a big mistake. So find something, find an area that you've already done work in, and you know if if you've uh, um, uh, you know, if you're an architect and, and you want to get into the building products business, well, there you go. You already know something about it. You understand, you know, who your who your buyers are and who your sellers are. It's just difficult, and unless it's your product and your great idea, to sort of you don't want to buy somebody else's mistake, and you don't want to buy something where everything's you're at the very bottom of the learning curve. Mm, no, that's good advice. That's that's absolutely good advice. Uh, so yeah, let's let's talk about the lifestyle piece here because. You know, I like the uh, kind of the analogy, if you will, that you use in the book here. Uh, you said something about like if your lifestyle is uh, if your lifestyle is going to the lake on the weekends, well, then you need an SUV business. But if your lifestyle is going to to Paris, then you need a Gulfstream business. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. I, I like that because I thought it was a very good visual way of putting it because it's it's true, right? It's that that probably helps you avoid mistake one is also knowing what type of lifestyle. That, that you want out of your business, right? Well, it, yeah, I mean, it, that, you know, um, I talk about it later in the book about, you know, it, thinking too small is a mistake. Uh, and, and I mean, hey, let's, let's face it, you know, if you're going to own uh, four Domino's franchises, you're not going to be buying a Gulfstream, right? Um, but if you say, hey, uh, I really like that, and maybe and I could go to another city and buy four more. I just talked to a client of mine who owns an, a uh, number of uh, Wendy's, and they just decided to buy, um, they just put in an offer to buy uh, 40 more. So uh, you can go from quick serve food to uh, uh, owning your own golf team if you'd like, but it's not, that isn't necessarily the goal. But you know, have something that's, have a goal that's suitable and, and, and try to stick to it. I mean, I think too many people, you know, they, if they haven't been an entrepreneur and they see, the uh, the guy up the street who's got a successful you know you pick it he's got a landscaping business and he drives a Range Rover and he belongs to the country club and you know they go on great vacations and you think well that's that's what I want to do and a person starts a business buys a business and then they they have some cash flow and you know maybe they were uh, this is two or three times more money than they've ever owned or never made before. And even though they've got a business that could be much larger, they become very uh, enamored with the lifestyle and looking a certain way and, and uh, over-rewarding themselves is how I put it. I mean, nobody gets into business, you know, uh, um, for entirely altruistic reasons, right? Everybody wants to make money. And I tell people, you know, reward yourself, but don't over-reward yourself. You know, if you're putting a situation where if your business is starving because you think you have to buy you know, a new Mercedes, then you've made a mistake. You know, you're, you, you put a governor on your business because it's, it's, uh, become more important to you to look like you're successful than to actually be successful. And frankly, Earl, I mean, my, let's say my most uh, successful clients, I mean, money is really, I mean, it's only the scoreboard. I mean, they're, they love to compete. They love to win. And, you know, you'd never know. <laughs> the, the level of their success, uh, you know, in any fashion, they don't, you know, they might have, you know, a nice car, but they don't have four. They might go on a nice vacation, but it's, you know, they're not necessarily, you know, um, taking the family on a private jet to the uh, to Paris for the weekend. I mean, that's just, they just don't. I mean, and if they did, they'd never tell you about it. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think that's great because it's kind of, you know, um, obviously until I started uh, doing this, uh, later on in my years, you know, one of the richest guys I ever met, uh, in my hometown, you know, the guy, he shopped at Walmart he had a, you know, he had a nice truck, but it wasn't, you know, overly extravagant. And that's what you're saying. Like this guy, you know, he, he, he was super successful owned a lot of land, owned a great business. But if you were from out of town and didn't know who he was, you'd think he was just an average Northeast Tennessee guy. Right. And, uh, 
you know, and that was his thing. He's like, yeah, I could do all that. He goes, but you know, I've got dreams for my grandkids. I'm not going to spend all their dreams on, on, on my Mercedes. Uh, you know, so, so I like that. And I, I think that is, I think that's really a critical piece there. Cause we hear this, you know, a lot of folks get told, well, you got to fake it till you make it, got to fake it till you make it. Well, that means I got to have the Armani suits and the Rolex watches and drive the sports cars. Cause I got to fake it till I make it. And, that's how people really end up in uh, upside down in a lot of trouble real quick, right? Yeah, I don't. I, I you know certainly there's there's certain you know industries where you need to look the part. You know if you're it, uh, you know we got a money management business associated with our our accounting firm here, and you know and accounting, accounting law, money management. You know you don't want to show up in a t-shirt and dungarees, right? They're, they're, you're being judged partly about about not just the steak, but also the sizzle. So you can't be unmindful that you have to present a certain image. But, you know, that's that's all part of, you know, showing up to play the game and having your helmet be the same color as everybody else's on your team. Right. You know, beyond that, it's not important. I, I, but I do, uh, it, I would say that, you know, I don't have, almost all my clients are first-generation business owners and, you um, know, they are not necessarily overly enamored of looking a, a certain way, or, or they're just they enjoy making. You know, it's um, Cincinnati's a midwestern place. People aren't aren't overly showy, so they enjoy succeeding, but they don't necessarily enjoy pounding their chest. Um, that's just sort of the way it is. Maybe in other places there's more pressure to look a certain way or do a certain thing, but uh, not here in, in good old Cincinnati. <laughs> yeah, no, Cincinnati is a nice town. I've- uh, I've interviewed quite a few people from Cincinnati on this show, and every one of them are uh, kind of saying the same thing that, that you're saying here. You know, it's run business with a nice level head, and yeah, I, I agree with you. You gotta, you, you definitely gotta look the part. Um, so yeah, no, I like that, and and uh, you know, I think on on this note, let's go ahead and segue into mistake three here: uh, professionals, um, and and this one I like this because. You talk about the need, and we've already kind of talked about this before, but kind of fill in some of those gaps and knowing when you can't do everything and when to bring the right person in that does, right? Yeah. I, I, there's, in certain instances, and this is, you know, I think, less prevalent because more and more people, I think, understand the, the need to have an expert. And there's no reason to... Uh, you know, run this race by yourself. You're much better off, you know, being let somebody else be at the front of the peloton, and you can tuck in behind him, right? And, and I, there's been there's certain maybe first time entrepreneurs particularly where they're extremely price conscious and try to find you know they're using uh, their uh, you know the, the tax prepare down the street to be their uh, to be their uh, accountant and tax advisor, and they're using you know, the, uh, the guy, the, the lawyer that did um, uh, their parents' will to do to set up their operating agreement. It isn't to say that those are the wrong people, but, you know, you want to, you want to, uh, you want to use somebody that's been there before and, you know, more likely than not has worked on businesses bigger than yours. You know, I always say, you know, a, a good accountant, a good lawyer, they can see around corners. You know, they know where the next what the next curve looks like, and they can warn you in advance to tap the brakes. And, and I would say that business is, is really, and it, as the book would indicate, it's like weekend golf, you know, unless you're a pro golfer, you know, you, you're not going to hit that, you know, that 190-yard five iron over that 80-foot tree time after time. You have to practice course management, and, you know, the person who makes the fewest mistakes wins that match, and that's business. You know, you don't have to do extraordinary things. It's the old story of doing ordinary things extraordinarily well. If you can burn that into a, into a entrepreneur's uh, desk so that they see that each morning, I think that's probably a pretty good idea. Yeah. No, and I, I like that. Uh, and I like that golf analogy there because, you know, I, I don't play golf very often because mainly I'm just not that good at it. Uh, but I will tell you, there was one time that I was actually pretty decent 
And that was the only time I had a caddy. And, <laughs> and it's yeah. a totally different game when you've got the golf is a totally different game when you've got a professional, like what we're talking about here, using the business analogy here. It's a totally different game when you've got somebody who knows the course and can help you with shot selection and help you to try, if you have any skill, which I don't, to shape the shot. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is funny. I, I have played. I don't play often either, but I have played at nice places where you have to have a caddy, and they do near the course. And, of course, you ask for a club, and they just shake their head. It's like, no, you can't hit that from here. You need to lay you know, So you're asking for your your uh, uh, five wood, and they're handing you your six iron. It's like, uh-uh. <laughs> so it's like, if you think you can get there from here, maybe you've done it once in the last five years, buddy. It ain't happening now. Don't even try. So yeah, I've had that experience. It is pretty funny. But that is, that's what a good professional does for you. They don't, they don't let you make that, the, they'll manage the course. And it's, I, I always tell people, you don't have to be a world beater. You just got to beat your competition. And you better be wanting to beat your competition because they're thinking about it right now and, and they're looking for a way to beat you. So don't be, uh, uh, I think certain people have a certain amount of success and they think, well, you know, nobody will catch me now. And it's like, you know, I, one of my, favorite entrepreneur said, I always believe there's somebody within five miles of me right now who's got a better idea than me and he's going to execute it better. So I better get back on my horse and get to work. And I thought, good for you. And he's been super successful. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's that, uh, yeah, that's that mentality you got to have because it's, it's kind of true, right? I mean, especially right now, again, with how fast, uh, how fast things move and, and it's just getting faster with the internet. Yeah, people are always having the next best idea. No matter what the business is, somebody's always having the next best idea. So, so that's that's a great mentality to have. I I really like that. Absolutely. Um. All right. So I'm gonna I'm not gonna go through every single one of these because I definitely want my listeners to go out and buy uh, a copy of this book. But <laughs> so do I. <laughs> <laughs> well, and we'll get to that because I, you know, listeners okay. again. Uh, I want you to go out. I really do want you to go out and grab a copy of this book, The 10 Biggest Business Mistakes and How to Avoid Them uh, by Patrick Burke. And uh, we'll have some information later on on, on where to find the book and, and how to get a copy. Uh, but I think this is this is a really good, especially if you're at that point where you are considering starting your own business. I mean, I think this is good if you already have a business. Maybe you've already made a few of these mistakes, uh, but maybe you can come back and do a little course correction. But I think definitely if you're at that point where, you know, hey, maybe your business is one that is saying, oh, you got to come right back to work. Telework is over. Uh, you got to actually wear pants and stop watching Netflix. And then you're like, no, this is a well, I'll tell you what. Happen. I mean, it's it, it's um, it's what well, we're seeing it across the board. We part of our business is we do executive recruiting. Yeah. And a, a lot of people have decided that, you know, to your point early on, you know, they're not going to go back to work. They like the freedom, yeah. and perhaps this is the time. You know, they, if uh, you see what the savings rate has been over the last eighteen months, people didn't have a chance to spend much money, and so they've got something even more saved up. It's it's time to go out and maybe start that dream business, which which is great. I mean, it's uh, if you got that burning desire, you know, you should do it. You know, and it's not something. It's hey, it's. It's no, as I say in the book, it, it's nothing. If you fail, you fail. You know, it's, it's not. It's, it's only business. It's not personal. And maybe you find out that you know you weren't the risk taker you thought you were. That's okay too. I mean, a lot of people, you know, get into the entrepreneurial game and then decide later on they they don't like it. They sell it and go back and find a job. And not usually, I would say. Although there are a group of people that I that I call accidental entrepreneurs who are. You know, I had a, a client years ago who the owner of the business came to him and said, if you would want to continue working here, we're selling this and either we're going to either sell it to you or somebody else. And he came to me scared to death. And he said, you know, I, I never thought for a minute I ever wanted to own a business, but I know based on you know, that I can run this and I can find some, if you can help me find financing. And he, he turned it into a very, very uh, successful business and later sold it himself and made more money than he would have ever made in four lifetimes by just taking, you know, uh, a bit of a risk, you know, even though he was, th you know, was thrust upon him and, uh, you know, he ran it successfully for 20 years and did very well, but it's, you know, he, he, on his own, he would never have done that. Yeah. And that's okay too. 
Well, yeah. No, I mean, those are those destiny type things, right? That, that's right. Uh, and those don't happen very often. <laughs> no, that's, yeah, that's the bluebird that flew in the window. It doesn't happen often at all. Yeah. That's, well, so uh, you kind of tying that all together there, right? So, you know, this, like I said, this is happening. You know, I've had a few people on here talk about it. We see articles in Forbes and uh, HBR and all these, these things every day talking about how people are choosing to quit their job versus go back to work. And that means a lot of people are getting into this uh, entrepreneurial cycle here. And, and I think this mistake for, if, if I'm going to play a little bit of Nostradamus here, and maybe you've already seen it happening, but I think mistake number four, partnering, is probably one of the big ones that we're going to see here because it's like, you know, hey, Bob, I'm not going back to work. You know what? No, let's start a business. And and it should be a little bit more than that, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, in fact, I wrote a whole book on it, and the book is called There Is No Us in Business. And, of course, right. there is a us in business. But, yeah, it is, I'd say it, apart from starting a uh, buying a wrong business, the second most common mistake is bringing on a partner that that you don't need, and unfortunately, I'm afraid I've I have uh, presided over as many business divorces as I have successful business combinations, and there's people just get you know for, for some reason I don't know, and it's generally not necessarily risk, but it, by and large I think entrepreneurs are are you know lone wolves and. Suddenly, when it comes time to start the business, they they become they want to go hunt in a pack, and it's like you know this is a. Uh, I always tell them, look, if you if you don't think that the ownership percentage in your business, your equity is going to be mo- your most valuable asset someday, then you really shouldn't be getting into business, right? Yeah. And if it is your most valuable asset, then you should guard it with your life. But instead, what they do is, you know, I always my my. Favorite story is a, a client of mine, before he met me, he, he had a very complicated process that he did with a, with power plants. And there was a certain machining that it would help the power plant, instead of being shut down for days at a time, he could have it up and running in a day. Yeah. But it required a high-level machinist, and he's an engineer. And he made a machinist his 50% partner in this business. And as it turned out, they had to expand from Salt Lake City to Cincinnati and then Cincinnati to Reno. Well, in between this, the the, the uh, non-entrepreneur, the machinist, just wanted no part of all this risk and buying more equipment, renting more space. And they actually leased a, an airplane because they were flying these parts in and out. And it, so they had a buy-sell, and it was called a cutthroat buy-sell. And a cutthroat means you go to the meeting, you one partner names the price, whoever is calling the meeting, and the other partner decides... If at that price he's a buyer or a seller, so my client whose business he designed, you know, he walked into a meeting. Uh, we walked into a meeting with uh, the, both lawyers, and he didn't know if he was going to be walking out with 100% of the business uh, or he was going to walk out with a check. As it turned out, he walked out with 100% of the business. He did very well with it, but he could very easily have lost his business in that meeting with somebody who didn't really understand risk. So. I, I tell people that the gold standard is that you only take on a partner if that partner or that person has a skill that's absolutely positively necessary for your business, and that per, that skill cannot be acquired for money alone. Yeah, it's, it's something that's it's so unique and so valuable that they 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 insist on and you know uh, deserve equity. That's fine, but if you can if you can pay for it. Then please go out, you know, beg, borrow, use the family, friends, fools, funding method, whatever it takes. But you know, bring them on as an employee. It's, it's. I've just seen so many businesses go sideways, and even they sometimes it just ends the deal. You know, it's not, you, not in that case. You know, he bought him out, and it was fine. Uh, you know, cost him a lot of money. But in many cases, the, the business just disintegrates, and neither neither one of them do well. So. Um, I'm very, very careful. You know, back to to, to uh, choosing the right professional. You know, I don't, <laughs> the uh, uh, when I have this conversation with somebody, it's it, it's they've never heard it before. Well, I was going to bring in my neighbor, and I said, well, you know, this isn't a golf game. You're not looking for a foursome. Yeah. It's not even tennis. You're looking for a partner to play. It's just you, and you know, take it from there. 
Yeah, well, and, and I think that's it, right? Like, you know, working with some of the folks that I've worked with and, and them being in some situations, you know, like that. That's usually that origin story, right? Is, you know, they're they're sitting around, they're hanging out, you know, in the basement, at the bar, watching a game, whatever it is. Like, man, would it be fun to, to start a business together? Yeah, man, let's do it. And, yeah, they, they never think about, like, those things you talk about, like the, the risk tolerance, the risk management. Oh, and by the way, we're talking about uh, business partners here. But if you're married, you better bring the wife into that equation as well and make sure she's on board with putting that stuff at risk as well, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I think it was David Rockefeller that said, uh, better, uh, better to gain a friendship through a business than, than uh, put a friendship through, you know, uh, through a business partnership. So, you know, great to meet somebody in business and become a friend. But please, you know, uh, you know, if you need a dance partner, you know, uh, Go to, go to a dancing lesson. Don't uh, don't bring on a friend. It, 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 frankly, the friend thing hardly ever works. Yeah. And, uh, the uh, even when you're you're not necessarily friends before, but acquaintances, it's still very difficult. I mean, hey, there's there's there are exceptions. I think probably the one most common exception to that rule would be brothers that are in businesses. For some reason, that works better than brother sister. That works even better than father son or father daughter or or mother daughter mother son. It's just uh, brothers seem to get along pretty well. I think they they punched each other so out so many times between you know ages five and eighteen. They've gotten that all out of their system, so it, it seems to work out. <laughs> no, that's that is actually interesting. I I'd not heard that before that that you know about the brothers thing, but yeah, I mean, I I, I think you're right. I mean, because you know they they say what is the saying. I can't remember who said it, but uh, the hardest ship to sail is a partnership. Yeah, that's exactly. Uh, yeah. And that's probably it because there's a lot of, I mean, I think that's the, the thing that people underestimate with a partnership is you two are never going to see eye to eye on everything. So it's inherently a lot of conflict resolution. And brothers have probably figured out conflict resolution better than any duo on the planet. So I think you're right there. Yeah, it, it is. It, it, it's it's a very uh, it, it's partnerships are very tenuous. It's interesting to me is that partnerships generally work best when the businesses do just so so. You know, the business is kind of a you know a, go back to my lifestyle business, kind of a you know hey you know it's an architectural firm let's say, and both guys are sort of having the same work ethic, and you know they're not trying to kill it every day, and they're doing okay. You know, on the other hand, if they're crushing it, it's probably because one or the other is really, you know, uh, super talented at the job. And as a result, you know, they, you know, no matter what I tell people, most of them start off saying, I want to be 50 50. And it's like, you know, okay, but that's, you know, it's, it's never, you know, the, the, uh, uh, effort is never going to be 50-50, and the outcomes are never going to be 50-50. So there's going to be, when businesses do really well, there's always you know some sort of, a, hey, this guy, this girl's not pulling their weight, this isn't fair. And then on the flip side, when businesses don't do well, then there's you know finger pointing, and, and oftentimes you know, one person or the other can't, can't make a capital call, and it's you know, how are we going to handle this, and you, know, you misuse this money and oh it's just it's it's it isn't uh it's no fun you know and but it so you think about it if the if you're planning on running just a so-so business which i don't think anybody is you know you can be cavalier about bringing on a partner otherwise it's you know be very very careful no i i like that part especially about the so-so business right because it's like uh uh had a friend of mine he put it once he goes you know, nobody ever walks into the library and says, you know, I want to be smart, but I want to be Albert Einstein smart. Like, you know, <laughs> nobody really goes into business and says, you know, hey, I want to be successful, but I don't want to be Jeff Bezos successful. You know? Yeah, of course, everybody's, you know, and I don't want to say it's delusions of grandeur, but you should have, you should have extremely high hopes for your business. You know, I don't, I, I've, yeah, I don't think I've ever, well, as I always kid people when they come in with their with their business plans, and I say, yeah, it's interesting to me. I've never seen anybody who's who lost money next year. Right. You know, that's it's that never happens. You know, um, it hardly. It's like after the first year, it's going to be smooth sailing, baby. 
I love it. I love it. Well, I think that's a good, uh, I think that's kind of a good cutoff point right now because, uh, you know, we, we really got through, uh, the first four mistakes. That means, uh, listeners, you know, even the guy from Tennessee can do this, uh, math. It means there's six more for you, right? Uh, so you're going to have to buy the book to find out uh, more about those, those six other mistakes. So you don't uh, make them. So does that sound like a good deal with you, Pat? That's a, that's a perfect deal. I mean, I, I hope that people understand that, that business is fun. It's, it's, it's not overly hard and it's, and it's really being successful is really avoiding the big mistake. And that's, while it sounds simple, it, it really isn't all that simple, simple. So the more, the more information you have about about what the mistakes might be, and a lot of them are, are not as intuitive as uh, uh, at all. And I think uh, so. Buy the book and don't make the mistake, and, and be successful quickly without the pitfalls. That I certainly, as I said, eight of the ten, I, I fell in those pits myself. So I can tell you, they're no fun. Mm, I love it. Well, and maybe that was it. But before we wrap up, um, is there is there anything that we didn't really get a chance to convey to the listeners that you'd like to do right now? Well, um, so I'm the managing partner at Burke and Schindler. We're a CPA firm in, in uh, Cincinnati. You know, we specialize in uh, helping entrepreneurs, you know, start, run, and exit businesses. And you know, we think it's fun, and I think it's uh, we try to. We try. We will give you the the uh, all the uh, ammunition you you will need to not make the mistakes. People still make them anyway. Uh, they're headstrong, and that's okay as long as they're not the the kind that are existential. Uh, you can also uh, learn more about me and my books on patrickburke.net. Um, that'll feed you into the Burke and Schindler website as well. I've written four other books, uh, including a. Uh, uh, a book appropriate for teens that are just thinking about starting a business or understanding a little bit about business. It's called Swing for the Fences. So uh, mm. uh, as, a, as a former lemonade stand operator, I wish I'd have read it back then, you know? Yeah. No, I love it. Yeah, no, thanks for that. And, and uh, yeah, I'll get those links in the show notes so people can get over there and, and find out and find out more about those books. And, you know, again, listeners, there you go. Uh, I know I've got a few listeners that are in that kind of teenage uh, demographic there, but uh, yeah, we'll have to get a link to that because I think that's, uh, you know, maybe we're getting ready to start in a whole new podcast here with this, but I love that because I think that's one of the things that is really lacking uh, in education right now. And it, it seems to be picking up a little bit of steam, but is, is these types of skills. And it's interesting. I think, you know, uh, uh, when, I, when I first wrote the book, I mean, I think that we, I was on a local TV show here, and they were talking about, you know, what do you think the sort of the misapprehension? And I think, you know, because it, um, kids are so busy now, they don't really have as much insight into what their parents are doing than, as they did before. I mean, I, my dad was a lawyer and a judge, and I understood. You know, we had clients come in. We had, you know, he, I had him. They would have be, uh, he'd be drafting their will in our in our dining room, and I'd see him, you know, write my dad a check on the spot or hand him a, you know. An envelope with cash in it, so I understood <laughs> how a business operated. And I think today, you know, perhaps kids think of mom and dad more like an ATM. You know, they understand they under they only stand the understand the spending part of the revenue cycle. How it's earned is like, well, I don't, I don't know. I think dad just puts money in the checking account, <laughs> and everybody else takes it out. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean, and and you you might be right, but yeah, no, I like it and. Uh, you know, it reminds me of, of the bubble pop uh, in, in 2008, and there was this whole thing about uh, kids not being able to get those opportunities in, like, the fast food industries and things like that because, you know, people, uh, you know, in their, their middle ages or maybe even in retirement were, were taking McDonald's jobs and all that good stuff. And I said, <laughs> yeah. well, this was a great oh, yeah. opportunity I mean, for those kids to, to learn and maybe leapfrog and start their own businesses, right? Yeah, I just uh, I, I, absolutely, and I think it's important for kids to deal with with uh, other adults besides their parents. I mean, I learned a lot driving a truck and working construction, and you know, understanding you know, growing up in a household where you're, you know, my dad was a lawyer, my brother was a lawyer, so you think everybody, you know, all the smart people on the planet are doctors and lawyers, and they're not. You know, there's some super super smart people in business. 
that maybe didn't go to school but are very clever in how they've made money and how they grow businesses. I, I, it's Dealing with entrepreneurs is a blast. I, I, I feel blessed to have this opportunity to do it every day. Love it. Love it. Well, Pat, thank you very much for spending this last about 50 minutes or so with uh, with my guests and uh, with my listeners and myself. Uh, this is a great conversation. I really appreciate you having it with us. Thank you, Earl. I appreciate the opportunity. I Go out there, make money, avoid mistakes, have fun. Nothing I wrong with it. Love it. Uh, yeah, say that again. There's nothing wrong with it. I, 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 <laughs> that's right. Yeah, you know, I think that's the thing. Like, success gets kind of a bad rap. Uh, they, people feel that you got to be kind of like evil and backstabby to, to be successful, but it's not true. You don't no, have it's to. not. Well, and I also think you know, business is not a zero-sum game, right? If somebody else is successful, he's not eating or she's not eating off your plate. Yeah. It's just, you know, more power to him. I mean, I've got so many clients that are so much more successful than I am, and it's, you know, at least financially, and I think it's great. You know, that's good for them. It doesn't have any consequence to me except, you know, I've got a great client who uh, I can I can brag about some of their successes as being a small part of it. Yep, exactly. Love it. Love it. And listeners, thank you for being with us for uh, these past uh, almost hour here. Uh, I know you got a lot of value out of it. I'm going to push the book again, The 10 Biggest Business Mistakes and How to Avoid Them, uh, authored by Patrick Burt. Uh, definitely click on those links in the show notes there and, and go check out what Pat does, check out his other books. And, uh, you know, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns for me, burden.command at gmail.com. That's burden.command at gmail.com. Just reach on out. Let me know if you have any guest ideas. If you have any comments, if you have anything you want me to get to a guest, anything, just reach out at that email address. Uh, keep rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show. Uh, it helps all of my great guests like Pat get their messages spread further and reach more uh, ears and uh, get more of their books and great content in hands to help uh, make a positive change in the world. And you uh, taking that responsibility serious means a lot to me, and I really appreciate you all for doing that. And with that, thank you all one last time, and I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here, and I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric House Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music.